chapter 8. This is basically like, I'm cutting to the, like, the climax of the whole book up to this point. Like, he spent all these chapters talking about essentially what we've talked about in the first two weeks of the series. The fact that God has given us this gift of salvation in Jesus. The fact that there is this promise of life abundant in walking with him. We get to live this life keeping in step with the presence of God. He even previews the, the future glory that we're going to experience in heaven. So where we're picking up in chapter 8, verse 31, he's basically just riffing on the outcomes of that. Like when we reflect on the fact that we have this salvation, when we reflect on a life in the spirit, a life abundant in Jesus, what should we say about that? What should we conclude? And so he's just basically riffing on like, what does it mean to affect our thinking then and our attitudes and our life as we consider these great things that we talked about the last couple of weeks? Let's pick up where he's asking these questions and uh, just kind of framing for us our experience in light of the other promises that we've received. Verse 31 of Romans chapter 8, the verses will be on the screen. What then shall we say in response to these things, this salvation, this life abundant promise to us? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Can I get an amen this morning? That's uh, not just the kind of text that you just read and then, okay, let me get into it. Let's break this down. It's like, amen, all right? That already preached right there, just reading the passage. But it all begins with that summary question I highlighted at the outset. Knowing the change that Christ's arrival brings to our circumstances in this world, our relationship with God, what do we conclude from that? Well, verse 31, this is the first thing. If God is for us, then who can be against us? If that's already been established, that God is for us, who can be against us? And I want to clarify very quickly that this isn't like just this free pass to believe that God is your personal assistant in all your conflicts and goals in your life, that God is for you in that way. Like you're going in for the job interview, and you walk into the waiting room, and there's four people waiting to be interviewed as well, and you walk in high and mighty, and you say, <laughs> good luck, guys. You know, I've got an in with the big man, you know, like you're, you're done for. God is for me. And then like half of them are like, I'm Christian too. Who's he going to give it to? You know, it's like, it, it, that's not the sense in which he's for us. That he's going to accomplish that goal for you. Or like, you know, just defend your character even when it doesn't make sense. Like someone comes to you and points out, you know, this like real genuine personality flaw. And you're like, la, 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 can't hear it. 
don't need to hear that from you. God is for me. He supports all of my personality flaws. You know, that, this verse can be twisted and taken in that light, but that's, that's not what Paul means. Paul means God is for us in the way the message of Jesus conveys his benefit and his good toward us. You know, Jesus, his one and only son, has taken our place, taken upon the penalty for our sin. He died in our place so that we could experience this heavenly glory that we're going to inherit. In that way, God is for us. And there's no one that can stand against that. There's no one that can come against God in bringing us into that glory in the future. You know, to do so would be like, when one of my five-year-olds comes to me and wants to play tic-tac-toe, you know, my, my, my five-year-old twin daughters, you know, this, oh, can we play tic-tac-toe? And I have to decide in that moment, am I going to win or am I going to lose? Because it's completely my choice. You know what I'm talking about, right? I have to decide, okay, this is the moment when I'm going to act ignorant so that, you know, like, here we are, they've got two in a row. If they just go right there, we can end this game. And they don't go there. And you're like, Oh, my gosh, I have to feign like I don't know how to defend again. I'm picking the only space that I can't win in right now, right? Because there's no contest. And by the way, my dad never let me win anything. My dad, Steve Shave, you know him. He's like, I'm going to go full bore. I don't care if my kid's three years old. That's an aside. That's for a therapy or a prayer or something. I don't know why I'm sharing that with you, but... But me, I, I condescend to the level of the kids because it's no contest otherwise. And it's no contest. If anyone wants to stand against God's purposes, they will not win. And the truth of the gospel is through Jesus, we're standing with him, not against him. So it's like this victory anthem. If God is for us, who can be against us? You know, to say we possess faith. Now let's talk about faith for a second. I've been talking about this for a few months. To say that we possess faith isn't just to acknowledge that that's true. Okay, yes, I believe that. If God is for us, who can be against us? True faith is to live in that truth. Not to just acknowledge it as true, but to live in that truth. To have that be real for us. So applying our faith, can that neighbor that acts so vindictive against us uh, can, they, can they stop us from our experience with God and the glory that awaits us in heaven? You know, can that, can that family member that's so dysfunctional in our family system, are they able to get in the way of God's purposes in our life and subvert the glory that we have reserved for us? Is, is, is there that coworker who's, who's working against us in the workplace? Are they able to stand between us and God and the promises that we have into the future? Can the generation that surrounds us, can Hollywood stand in the way of what we're going to enjoy with God and in his glory forever? Can politics or government, can any of these things stand against God if he is for us? The answer to this is no. So let's stop acting like these different things can threaten us. And they can't threaten us, right? You know, they can act as if they're going to threaten us, but if they can't take what we have, then there is no real threat. We're standing in that place of strength and in that place of faith. It's like when someone first pulls that trick where they throw the basketball to you, but they fake you out. Don't you love that in the schoolyard? 
Don't you love that when an adult still does that to you? I think a couple people on staff have done that to me in the basketball hoop. You know, like they'll, they'll, they're like going to throw it to you, but then they throw it down real fast. And so you have to flinch, right? Because you're like, man, I, I feel threatened right now. I feel like they're going to hit me with this ball, right? You know, I think true faith, when it matures in us, we can look at our life and the road ahead of us, and we can look at the world and what it's throwing at us, and it can pull that trick with the basketball, and we learn to stop flinching. We learn to stop being threatened. We can look it in the face and say, you can't harm me, and you can't take from me the things that matter most to me. Why should we be that confident? Why should we be that secure no matter what comes at us? Well, Paul says in verse 32, if God did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with Jesus graciously give us all things? You know, that's the gospel. I've already said it a couple times. God gave Jesus in our place, right? In this Advent season, we remember if he'll give his son, what won't he give What thing of higher value could he give to us beyond his son to communicate our value and his disposition toward us? What more thing could he do to demonstrate? It's like, that's tops. Guys, if if I write you a check for the balance that's in my bank account, and then I give you my extra kidney, and then we do the bone marrow extraction and transplant thing with you, How do you guys think I feel about you at that point? You're going to look at me and you're going to say, you're my guy, right? There's going to be no question. I've, I've given you everything I can give you for you to understand how I feel about you and my relationship to you. Essentially, Paul is saying the same thing. God, in this scripture, is going, guys, what more do I need to do for you for you to understand how I feel about you, my disposition towards you. When are you going to give up and release those insecurities about my love and my attitude toward you? I love you like I love my son. I placed your life above the life of my son. I I effectively, you know, asked him to give up his life So that you could have life. And he even preferred your life over his own life. He gave it up. And in all this, God's loyal love was displayed. Your standing with him, Paul is saying in Romans chapter 8, is secure. Paul agrees in verse 33 with that statement of like this security that we now have. That God has fully and absolutely proven in sending his son. He says in verse 33, who's going to bring a charge against the one whom God has chosen? Among his people that have believed in him. It's God who justifies. Who then is the one who's going to condemn us? Who can condemn us? Who can come against us in the world? There is no one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of the Father. And he is also interceding for us. To make sense of this change of relationship and the dynamics that can go on with others around us, let's say... We're in the parking lot over at the senior center, 
and I'm backing up out of my parking space, and everyone's kind of gathered outside. Let's say I left something at home. I had to go run home for something in between services, and I back up into your car. And everyone's there because, of course, everyone would be there in a situation like that. They're all outside. Let's say it's potluck. Everyone's like, you know, eating their burritos or whatever. And then, oh, Pastor Andrew just ran into that person's car. That's going to get some attention on a Sunday. Let's just admit it with each other. So everyone's around, and I'm going, oh, I'm such a fool. Why did I do that? And I go home. But then you call me, and you say, you know what, Andrew, it's all good. We've got it covered. No hard feelings whatsoever. We think you're a fine pastor and a fine gentleman. You go on with your life. And I'm like, thank you very much for that affirmation. I feel much better. But then everyone else who's there starts texting me. Oh, my gosh. I can't believe what you did. Man, you really messed up. How how silly was it? You're never going to live that down, are you, at church, right? In that scenario, you're going, who are you to text me? Who are you to accuse me if the primary offended party has already forgiven me? The person who suffered the most in this situation or suffered at all is the person who's already justified me in their eyes. So who are you to come along and put that guilt and that accusation back upon me? So also in our sin and wrongdoing, no one is more offended. No one is more the offending, uh, offended party than God himself. And he has chosen to justify us. Justice was served through Jesus paying the penalty of death. And so the charges against us are dropped. The verdict is in, and we are now free. And there's no one else that can show up in our life at any point and say, well, hey, wait a minute, no, no, no. I got some extra stuff on this person that you might want to consider, and that's going to jeopardize our standing with God. He says, no, it's already a settled thing. There's no one else who can come along and condemn you. And we place our life in Jesus and we lay our life before him. There's no one else who can speak that word against us and jeopardize that standing. And even more, God has gone from like the offended party and prosecution and judge, if you really want to take it in the courtroom setting, and he's become our advocate. He's gone the opposite direction. He's become our interceder. Now, this would have a lot more relevance, this idea of being an intercessor for the Jews. They would understand this more. This would be much more common in their culture. They had a mediator in their religious society. They had somebody who would, like, represent them before God, the high priest, who was supposedly more spiritual and more holy than the rest of them. And essentially, he would put in a good word on their behalf to God. Right, And that's the intercessor. That's the mediator for them. For, for us today, we don't necessarily hear things the same way. So the way you can think about it is like having an in with someone in the industry. You know, you got a hookup in the city or something. Like you got, you got somebody who's got some favor, you know, that you can draw from. That, that's how we would describe it. Like let's say theoretically I knew somebody that was part of the parking control here in Huntington Beach. Theoretically, let's just say. And it's street sweeping day, and I've forgotten, which I do many times, that it's street sweeping day. And uh, let's just say that person rolls up, notices it's my house, and it's my car, and so theoretically they just give me a warning instead of an actual ticket. Well, theoretically that would be wonderful, wouldn't it? And in reality it was wonderful because I used to have that hookup with the city. I used to, I didn't ask for it, guys, all right? I'm not looking for that as a pastor, but... 
You know, this guy knew who I was, what was my car or my house. And we're always, we're always kind of like inclined toward that. Who doesn't want to know someone on the inside? Who doesn't want to know somebody in the industry? Who doesn't want to have a leg up to get some extra favor? And in our case, that person in our relationship with God is Jesus. It's God himself. You know, that's why we don't need to pray to the saints. You know, those who have gone on before us and lived excellent lives of faith, we don't need to, like, go to the, you know, next level, several levels down of people to say, hey, will you put in this good word for me with God? No, you don't need that. Me? I'm helpful, right? But I'm only helpful insofar as I'm being faithful to Jesus. You don't need to go through me to get to God either. You don't need a mediator. You already have the hookup. <laughs> you already have the in with heaven, and it comes through Jesus who is advocating for you. He's praying for you. He's interceding for you before God. You know, guys, when we take this whole thing in perspective, given this relationship and this picture that I've painted thus far, that, you know, here we have this standing with God. God is now for us. Who can be against us? No one can bring an accusation against us because God is the one who's justifying us. He's demonstrated his disposition of generosity toward us in sending his son. There's nothing that he's going to withhold from us. What then shall separate us from the love of Christ is what Paul asks in verse 35. Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? He's going, if you really get how God feels about you, and if you really get what he's done on your behalf, and you really understand how much he's defending you and your status with him, then who or what is going to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ? List it out. You know, is it when you go through hard times? Is it when you go through trouble? Is it when you face violence? Is it when you are experiencing war? Is it, you know, what is it going to be? Natural disasters, threats? Some still think that to be a Christian is to avoid all these things, like God being for you. They consider that to be like your escape out from hunger and, and, and poverty and, you know, being victims of natural disasters. And I just want you to know that's false. Paul himself is like, no way. God being for us doesn't mean that we escape all these forces of resistance that exist in the world. He actually says, you better embrace it. You know, we face death all day long, he says. We're like sheep in the slaughterhouse. And if you think about it, that is a little bit our experience in the world as Christians. Like, first we have the common things that would come against us, the things that threaten us just like anyone else. Physical infirmity, older age. You know, global conflict, those are the things everyone gets sucked up in, and we're no different. We don't just disappear when those things start going on in the world. But then on top of all that, we're also bound by the example of Christ. We're bound to demonstrate outrageous forgiveness toward people. We're bound to love our enemies. We're going around preaching grace for sinners. But we're not giving up righteousness, we're holding to righteousness in truth. We're not people who hoard, we're people who share. We're working in the world, but we're not using the schemes and tactics of the world of manipulation and lies. We go forward in a posture of humility and integrity. Guys, do you know what that makes us? 
that makes us, and I hate to say it, vulnerable. That makes us really, really vulnerable. Paul says we exist in a world this messed up like sheep that are living in the slaughterhouse. And yet here's the key. Vulnerability isn't scary for us anymore. Let me say that again. We're vulnerable being followers of Christ to all kinds of opposition. Likely even more, much more than we would face otherwise not following Jesus in this world. We're vulnerable, but we face that vulnerability entirely unafraid. There is no fear in us. I know the world will oppose me. I know I'm going to encounter hardship in this life. I know I'm going to face opposition as a Christian and as a pastor. I realize that I'm like a sheep in the slaughterhouse, but I don't fear. But I don't fear. Why? Verse 37, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. That's right. In all these things. Not out of all these things. Paul says when we're going through hardship, when we're facing resistance in our culture and persecution, when we're going through tough times, we're conquerors, we're victorious. It's an attitude. It's a disposition that is empowered constantly by this belief that nothing can separate us, no matter how difficult it is, from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And he goes and he riffs on it. He goes, you guys want to know how strong that bond is? There's nothing in life and there's nothing in death that can separate you from the love of God in Christ. You, you will not have anything happen to you in this life that's going to break that thing down. Even death. Death is the thing that some people fear the most out of anything else in this world. Our faith in Jesus turns death into a beginning. In a way, we even like long for what comes after this life. So there's nothing in this life. There's nothing in death that can separate us. There's not angels or demons that can stand in the way. There's nothing in the unseen world. There's no dark spiritual powers that you or I need to dwell in or be obsessed in and you know, feel like we're not protected. We're not subject to those powers anymore. He says there's nothing in the present or the future that can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Nothing's going on in your life right now, he says. And Paul doesn't even know your story. That can be kind of offensive for us sometimes. Well, you don't know what I'm going through. He's like, I feel so confident in this. I can tell you, I don't even know what you're going through. And I can say this too as a pastor. And I, I want to know. I want to sit with you and hear, like, what you're facing. He says, I can assume no matter what that is, it will not break this bond that God has with you. And it won't jeopardize the promise of the glory that awaits you in heaven. And guess what? There's nothing in the future. Sometimes the future can be really frightening for us. We think, man, my life has looked like this up to this point. So many things have happened to me that I never expected. What could possibly happen to me in the future? And he's saying, even if you knew, you can know from the beginning, not knowing, in a place of ignorance, whatever that stuff is that goes between, like, right now and when you're in heaven, like, there's nothing that you're going to go through that is stronger than the bond that I've created in you 
with me through my love, through my presence, through the work of Jesus on the cross. No height, nor depth, nothing below, nothing in the expanse of the universe, no created thing. So what's Paul saying here? He's saying, look, throw everything at me. Throw it all at us. Place all that pressure upon us. Put all that stress on us. Take everything from me in this life, and I'll still have God, and he'll still have me, and I'll still have the hope of glory that outweighs it all. In the construction industry, there's this rating of measurement called tensile strength. And it's the amount of pressure and weight something can handle before it breaks. And it's rated in PSI. So it's 100 PSI. It's 1,000 PSI. That's pounds per square inch of pressure that you can put on an object until it snaps. And so they test things. And, you know, if it makes it to 100 PSI and then it breaks, okay, that's how strong that thing is. Let's put 3,000 on the thing that hasn't broke. Okay, then it broke. That's how strong it is. Paul's saying there is nothing in existence, nothing spiritual, nothing physical, nothing ever past, present, future that is a pressure and a stress so strong on the bond that we have with God that it will ever break it has no breaking point. And you and I, as limited human beings, we have that breaking point. We have an amount of stress or pressure that we can handle, and then we snap. But Paul says now we're joined to God in Christ. And that is our strength. That is our power in times of weakness because he can manage the pressure and the stresses that we cannot. So I want to share with you a few things that I hope we walk away with, things that Paul knew that I want us to know, that if we knew them, I think it would really change not just how you're feeling today. I think it would really change how you're going to feel the rest of your life until you move into the glory of heaven. And this is for you if you're in a place of weakness, absolutely. This is for you just as much if you're in a place of strength. Let me highlight three things that Paul knew that I want us to know in the way that he knew it. First of all, Paul knew, and we can see it in Romans chapter 8, Paul knew how God felt about him. That's really the beginning place of every other benefit that he experienced in his relationship with God. He knew how God felt about him. He goes, if God is for us, who can be against us? And he's got this swagger, right? He's got this confidence. And he's got so much resistance coming at him, but he's just like, I can stand here and go, I know God is for us. Like, I'm invincible. Who can be against us? He knew if God was willing to give his own son, what's he going to hold back from us, guys? Is it getting through to you? What more does God have to do to let you know how he feels about you that you don't question his goodness toward you anymore? That you know for good he's working for your benefit. I mean, when we understand that disposition toward us, and I know we have so many walls and you know, we have such a hard time because we've had dysfunctional relationships and how do we even accept that someone really loves us and, and it'll keep getting preached to us until it gets through to our hearts. But God's going to keep reminding you, this is how I feel about you. 
I did not withhold anything, and I will not withhold anything from you for your benefit for all of eternity. And Paul knew that. And that was his starting place. So that he could know how to live this life of fearless vulnerability. I think this is what it means to have faith as a Christian. It's to live a life of fearless vulnerability. I would love if that was like this community of disciples in Huntington Beach. Like, why would we be afraid of anything? Are we afraid of anything that's going to go on in the world? Are we afraid of any accusation that's going to come against us? Are we afraid to share our stories? Are we afraid to tell the truth about where we're at personally or with our marriages? Like, we know that we stand justified before God. We know the glory that awaits us. Like, nothing can threaten that. So we're just like this whole community of people who are fearless. And, and because we're fearless, we're, we're vulnerable. We can put ourselves out there. You know, we don't need to deny anything that's going on. <laughs> you know, we can say, man, this world is a mess. This is like a slaughterhouse, and I feel like I'm a sheep right in the middle of it. And the Bible's like, you are. You are. You know, we've gotten really good. I think a lot of people have in the last couple of years in society at, at catastrophizing. We look into the future, the very thing that Paul says, there's nothing in it that can separate you from the love of God. But we look into it, we peer into it, and we have all these thoughts about what it's going to entail. It's going to go from bad to worse, to even worse, to even worse than that, and even worse than that. And I can listen to people all the time just kind of rattle on about this stuff in front of me. And I'm going, yep. Yes. Uh-huh, tracking with you. And the whole time I'm not denying anything they say. I'll amen every catastrophe that you think is going to happen in this world and say, yep, we could be subject to that. We could be subject to that. So now what? We're fearless. We can look it in the face and not flinch. Because nothing has changed about the promises that are for us. I mean, that's, that's faith to me. Faith to me is if God is for it. At the end of all that catastrophizing and all that daydreaming about all the worst stuff, at the end of that, this statement, if God is for us, who can be against us? That's the response to it every single time. If God is for us, who can be against us? If we know how God feels about us, we're empowered to live these lives of fearless vulnerability. And then we can thrive in any circumstances. Paul knew how to thrive through Jesus' love in all things. The bond and promise we have with God is stronger than any of the pressures and the stresses that might be placed upon it. It won't break. It won't break. Paul says, in all these things, hardship, trouble, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword. He says, in all these things, that's when we're victorious. That's when we're conquerors. That was his attitude and disposition. And what was it fueled by? First, knowing how God feels about him. Second, having that fearless vulnerability of going, man, I can stand confidently in these promises. So now I have this attitude and disposition I'm victorious even when I'm facing those difficult times. Even when I'm facing those pressures and challenges. Because I know none of them is going to break the thing that's most vital to me. Which is my standing in the Lord that's been gifted to me through what Jesus did. 
It's the glory that I have forevermore awaiting me. That's a promise, guys. Power in places of weakness. One I hope we derive this morning. I want to spend some time in, in ministry. And I thought, how, how do I give an opportunity for some of you to be prayed for this morning? And sometimes when you say, hey, are some of you struggling? Could you use prayer? There's some of you that just, you're inclined to recognize that. You know you're in a place of vulnerability and you're courageous enough to go, I'm not worried what anyone thinks. I need prayer. And I love that. And I hope that you lead the change in this culture so we can have that fearless vulnerability. You stand up and you say you need prayer. There's no one in here of all places that goes, that person needs God. Can you believe that person needs God? I'm going to go talk about that at Chipotle after church. Like, we all are here because we all say we need God. Like, and, and if anyone did do that, they're standing against God's purposes. Not a good place to stand, right? But if I phrase it that way, you know, some of you don't even know you need prayer because you're just so used to just managing your stresses and pressures of life on your own. So you wouldn't even know to ask for anything when you do need prayer. So I just want to start with that this morning. I don't know if there's going to be two of us or there's going to be 20 of us, but if you're facing pressures and stresses right now, would you stand to receive prayer? Pressures and stresses in your life. Maybe it's financial hardship, vocational hardship, health. It's the holidays, relationships. Thank you for just standing. Thank you. If you're just facing those pressures and stresses, you might not even know that you need prayer. We're not saying that you need prayer. We want to bless you. We want to bless you with the strength that God provides in all things. So if you're facing pressures, if you're facing stress, things that would test your strength, your breaking power, would you stand? And I always like to give a few more moments because some of you are reactors. You know you're there. You're living in the moment with the sermon and others of you, you're, you're a computer. You're like processing, you're calculating. Is that me? Is that me? This can be the time if you're with your friend, you're with your spouse, you can say, hey, I know that you're facing a lot of pressure and stress. I think you should get prayer. Like it's okay to be that second voice to let someone know. It's okay for them to be blessed and prayed for. So again, if anyone needs prayer, would you stand this morning? Thank you. Thank you. you know, this is what the church does together. We don't, we don't point a finger. We go over and lay a hand on somebody and we stand with them. So would you notice those who are standing near you and... Would you agree to stand with them, to move toward them? As, the, as there starts to be some activity in this room, those who stood, I know you said, I already stood, now you're going to make me raise my hand. Can you raise your hand just so that we can see you even as we're moving around? There's some places in the room where some people are standing near each other. 
So I just want to make sure everyone's getting prayed for. Maybe we can make sure to prioritize, come around here, just make sure everyone who needs prayer has some folks around them. Is there anyone who stood that doesn't have anyone standing around them to pray for them? And if you want to share why you stood, why you need prayer, that's great. If you don't want to share, if you don't want to say anything, you just say, hey, will you just pray for strength? I'm just going through a lot right now. Share as much as you'd like to share. And then let's just spend some time. If, you're, if they're comfortable, if you're comfortable, just place a hand on them, ask them, is that okay? And then let's just begin to bless them with truths, understanding with God, the strength that God can provide. I'd love for you to just begin to pray out loud. Even now, even while I'm speaking, they can begin to share with you and you can begin to pray for them. If if you're not standing around someone who's getting prayer, just feel free to pray where you are for those who have stood, that God would do a work in the lives of those who are around us in this room this morning. Let's bless them. What a beautiful time. What a beautiful time of celebrating with you as we dwell in these promises and as we just anticipate ever more this glory that's promised to us in Jesus. Wow, just what an amazing morning. Beautiful detour. So grateful for it. Would you extend your hands in a posture of receiving this blessing? I'm going to pray over you. Heavenly Father, I pray for this branches community that you would continue the work that you began even this morning, helping us to understand how you truly feel about us through the gospel. God, if you are for us, who or what? can stand against us. What we have in you through Christ is unbreakable. Lord, it can withstand the pressures and the stresses of anything this world or anything beyond it would throw at it. God, our future is secure. Our relationship with you is secure through our faith in your son Jesus. So Lord, help us to Pull our attitude and our disposition and our fearlessness from these truths. That we would live as those who are victorious and conquerors in the midst of the difficulties of this world. We have a glory that awaits us that far outweighs it all. And we believe this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you all. So grateful for you. Let everyone know we still have a 7 p.m. service if they couldn't make it to the morning. God bless you, parents who ran around this warehouse with your kids. Well done. You're like, this gathering can end. It doesn't have to go on forever. Uh, you're ready to take them home. But reclaiming marriages tomorrow night. If you're married, make it to this event. We're going to fill this space. Grateful to all of you who have volunteered for child care to assist to make sure we can get everyone here. Be here for that giving tree stuff. Get that in. God bless you. Have a great week. We'll see you next week.